Hi, I'm C. And I'm Rach. And this is the Georgia Hair Podcast. So, Rach, how's your week been? Um, it's been okay. It's been half term, trying to find things to do in in lockdown. But at least we're allowed to get outside and see people a bit now. So that's been nice. How about you? Um, yeah, a bit of going outside. Uh, today has been eventful. Oh, really? Yeah. I bought some amazing donuts. If you follow us on Twitter or Instagram, they will, you will see the photos of the donuts. They were remarkable. They were huge. Um, in work news, I got nominated for an award um, today. Yeah, I know. For innovation, Rach. Um, oh, wow. In col- well, in collaboration with a colleague. And I had to message him immediately afterwards to say, do you know what we innovated? And he said, no, do you? And I said, no, I don't. So mm. we're honoured, but we're also really hoping that no one asks us why we were nominated because we don't know. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that's nice anyway, isn't it? Well, yeah. Um, and well done. What's the, other thing? Oh, the big news. <laughs> Thank you for that smattering of applause. <laughs> um, the big news is I had my first ever full cup of tea. <laughs> that's pathetic. You're almost <laughs> 40 years old and you're English. This is unacceptable. <laughs> Well, I've had a few sips, you know, I just don't like the stuff. So I've had a few sips before in situations where I can't get out of it, like a funeral. But this time I'd gone into a building, somebody offered me a cup of tea. I'd been so cold that my brain, I think, was still frozen. So I, I just didn't think to say no. And then I had to make up the number of sugars that I want in a cup of tea. And I don't even want the cup of tea. I went with one. And then I had the tea. Quite liked it. Yeah, okay. This could be a moment for me, a turning point. But, yeah. But yeah, that's the kind of highlight of my lockdown life, obviously. <laughs> anyway, you know you know where there is a lot of action? Yes. In the plot of the Grand Sophie. Yeah, and where where the Grand Sophie is about, there is a lot of action. Oh yeah, she makes it all happen. Um, shall we start with a quick plot summary? <laughs> yeah, there's not much to say here, is there? But go on. No, but I love it. Um, so, Sophie is the exceptionally capable, very kind, well-travelled, kind of ruthless daughter of the diplomat sir horace stanton lacy um i love sir horace he's, he's a good one. um he's off to brazil so he sends sophie to his sister lady ombersley in london and in that household um the three eldest siblings are all in need of rescuing from various quandaries and sophie is of course just the woman to set things to rights so we have charles who is engaged to the most sour woman to oh. grace the pages of a Georgia Hay novel. <laughs> um, Cecilia is hopelessly devoted to the handsome but um, very ineligible poet Augustus Fawnhope. And then there's Hubert, who's in debt to a moneylender slash criminal. And amongst fixing all those problems, um, Sophie's father wants her to marry to find herself a husband um, because his intended bride doesn't want to be Sophie's stepmother. Which is fair enough. So, broadly speaking, Rach, how did you feel about this one? Oh, I love this book. It's a funny book. There's lot. It's, there's lots of witty exchanges. Um, great characters, and it's it's a yeah. funny book, isn't it? There's there's lots of bits. It makes me make me actually like laugh out loud. Um, yeah, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. And I was angry at myself for I was just kept asking why is this not in my regular rotation pile 
this is a fantastic one. Why did I stop yeah. reading it? Madness. I don't know, Sue. Only you can answer that. <laughs> okay. Um, I think maybe, though, we should get out of the way, early doors, um, some of the criticism that this book receives, mm. fa- fairly, I would say. Um, so to begin with, there's a fair amount of um, xenophobia, I suppose, directed towards Spain and the Spanish people. So um, Sir Horace's intended is Sancia, um, who I love, and I picture Salma Hayek whenever. Yeah. She's very voluptuous and sort of seductive, isn't she? In a- yeah, she's a great character. Yeah. I mean, she is, she is my kind of woman because she'll just yeah. eat a ton of treats, read a lot, and then have a nap in the afternoon. Yeah, I love it. that She has guest rounds and she'll just she'll just close her eyes and have a little nap despite yeah. her guests and whatever else yeah. is going on. So that, it, yeah, she, she's definitely my kind of woman. I'm also slightly obsessed with the fact that she lives in a villa in South London. Yeah, I didn't and get that like, bit. I had to Google what does a villa in England look like? Because I understand so, villas as in a Roman villa. But it's in Sutton, isn't it? Or in Merton? Merton. 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 Yeah. There's no villas in Merton now. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So there are some very hackneyed stereotypes trotted out. Like, and her smile is always described as sleepy or lazy. And as and I think um mm. I think Sophie refers to as indolent, or the Spanish people as indolent. And of course, Miss Raxton. Yeah. Is, generally offensive about anyone who isn't english um so yeah that's unpleasant but at least sanctia is a character that you are meant to love and enjoy like, yeah I, 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 it, it's difficult isn't it? it's like, i think there are bits of that that are more probably a bit so um there probably was that kind of xenophobia around at the time so the fact that oh, yeah. the character's uh, display that I guess is, is 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 not a problem because of um because that, you know that would be true to, to how how they would mm. be and I'm sure they will you know when they talk about the French or the or, or Spaniards yeah. or, or foreigners in general that, that, that there probably was that kind of xenophobia but then you're right it's more about she is a she is a she's a stereotype isn't she and that's that's mm. that's where it becomes more problematic yeah I was just gonna say yeah she's got hidden depths because at the end she's the one who does the um the cooking you know she's like kill yeah. the chickens eggs i must she have. has eggs she must have eggs yeah <laughs> yeah yeah she's actually uh, very capable when she puts her mind yeah. to it yeah yeah then on the other hand there is the anti-semitism that comes out um in the discussion of the money lender mr goldhanger so mm. hubert which is quite the name hubert um is in the grip of Mr. Goldhanger and Sophie comes to the rescue and sorts that out. And Mr. Goldhanger um, is described as a Jew, and both mm. his physical appearance and his character um, yeah. is described with all the most offensive tropes, yeah, tropes of anti-Semitism. So that, and I think what it's such, it would have been such a good scene, the Sophie confrontation mm. with mr goldhanger if there wasn't that really ugly thread running all the way through yeah. it 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 really i i don't think i noticed this before because it's it, it, i haven't read this one reread this one in a while and mm. i probably thought oh that's a bit funny before but i felt really uncomfortable reading it yeah i guess now i'm a bit older maybe um yeah i 
I, yeah, I felt uncomfortable reading this. I, I didn't think, I didn't remember it to be as bad as it was. And I, I did yeah. feel uncomfortable. It made me think if, if there was an edited version of the Georgia Hayer books to remove these mm. aspects of them, I would enjoy them so much more. Yeah, because I think, I think it, some people make the arguments that, but there was that kind of anti-Semitism around at the time. And that that's okay to display in the books, but that's not what this was. No, um, it it was it was it was in, as you said in the description of his character and the description of him, there are some very clear, yeah, anti-Semitic tropes that yeah. are very uncomfortable. If she could have just stripped them out and just left it as Sophie calling him a turnip, I would have been happy. Yeah. Moving on to the nicer stuff. Yeah. Shall we just have a chat about Sophie? Yeah. She's a great character, isn't she? She's a very likeable character. Very likeable and such a modern heroine, I think, and so different from yeah. all the other hey heroines we have. I mean, not entirely different because obviously like there are others that are capable and commanding, mm. but I don't, she's so fully formed as a character. Yeah. You know, she's... She's well-travelled. She can handle business. She knows how to carry out just the right level of flirtation. Um, mm. And she, she makes things happen. You know, she, she, things don't happen to her. She makes them happen. Yeah. And, and and I think she's got quite a nice way of owning her faults as well. So, yes. like, we're losing her temper um, mm. or yeah or, or other things as well. She, she yes, and, but she acknowledges it and then she'll, she'll apologise for it and she yeah it's 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 nice so it's not that she's like perfect she's got these faults but she i guess it makes her a more rounded character yes i I think you're right i think her and charles both have that in common actually how straightforward and and good at owning their flaws they are so and i think she has this way of being so forthright that it's very disarming to the people around her so at one point she has to apologize to miss raxton because she kidnapped her and drove down st james's (laughs) (laughs) st james's with her and um you know, she just walks straight into the room and goes, I'm so sorry. That was out of mm. line. I'm paraphrasing. But, you know, that kind of, that works really well. And then also with, with Charles, she regularly takes the wind out of his sails when he's in full tantrum mode. Yeah. Yeah. I do quite like the scene where she can make herself cry. Yeah. <laughs> and like, so she, he's being nasty to her and then she just cries and it just yeah. completely throws him. <laughs> And and like he'll he'll do like a big rant, and then I think at one point she just says, "You know, I must say I really admire the way you're never at a loss for a word." Yeah, and it just kind of shows she's that this kind of like one step removed. She understands that it's just him venting, and mm. she's not taking it too personally. And yeah, I think she she refers to Charles as a domestic tyrant, and mm. she she kind of treats him like a bit of a toddler having a tantrum in a way, like let lets him yeah. blow off his steam and then distracts him. But- yeah and, she, and she's quite a good like tool, tool for a writer as well because she can she is can read people mm. so well to start with like everybody she gets she gets the measure of everybody as soon as she meets yeah meets them so the whole yeah. family she she knows exactly what's going on with all mm-hmm. of them she understands where charles is coming from where Cecilia is coming from you know where her mm. aunt's coming from and um and so because she does we do as well and it's um and and we understand how charles has got into the situation being engaged yeah. to 
Um, <laughs> poor Miss Wright. Poor I, I think she really understands human nature and that that's shown f- for me most clearly when she's trying to work out Cecilia's love life. So Cecilia is sort of, she's going off Fawn Hope and falling for Charbury properly. Mm. Um, but Charles has made the, the mistake of saying, oh, you know what, actually, go on then, marry Augustus. Um, and that puts her in a tricky situation. And Sophie understands that in order for Cecilia to ditch Augustus and go with Charlbury, she needs to feel more sorry for Charlbury than she does for Augustus, which yeah. is why she shoots, shoots him. <laughs> which <laughs> Poor Charlbury. <laughs> I love him. We'll talk about Charlbury, but he does have. <laughs> wow. I do feel bad for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe the ends justify the means, but it's they're mm. quite some means. Um, Sophie, by the way, in, in terms of her doing things that really aren't acceptable, in my opinion, she arrives with a monkey yeah and a sweary parrot but that's yeah. not okay if you come to my house and voice the monkey on me i'm gonna have some issues with you so i agree so i you nowadays you wouldn't bring a monkey because obviously it, it's bad um to bring yeah. wild animals into <laughs> london house <laughs> but um it is a hell of an entrance isn't it oh my god yeah i love that bit. yes i was gonna yeah read that bit the steps of the chaise were let down, the door opened, and out leapt an Italian greyhound to be followed a moment later by a gaunt-looking female holding a dressing bag, three parasols, and a birdcage. Lastly, Miss Danton Lacey herself descended, thanking the footman for his proffered help, but requesting him instead to hold her poor little Jacko. Her poor little Jacko was seen to be a monkey in a scarlet coat, and no sooner had this magnificent fact dawned on the schoolroom party than they brushed past their scandalised receptionists tore open the garden gate and tumbled out of the road shouting a monkey she's brought a monkey lady Ombersley, meanwhile standing as though rooted to her own doorstep was realizing with strong indignation that the light in which a gentleman of great height and large proportions regarded his daughter had been misleading so horace's little sophie stood five feet nine inches in her stocking feet and was built on generous lines a long lead deep bosom creature with a merry face and a quantity of glossy brown ringlets under one of the most dashing hats her cousin has ever seen. Oh, I really like that entrance. Yeah, no, it's good. It's, it's bustle. And, and I think there are a few references um, early on in the book to how she just almost immediately turns the house upside down and changes the whole atmosphere. Um, yeah. Because it's obviously been a very tense household for quite some yeah. time. So yeah, it's a great entrance. She has various fantastic scenes, so where she steals horses, arranges a ball for like 400 people, and it was supposed to be 20, um, confronts a money lender with a gun. She gets up to all kinds of things um, and also just shows how well she can manipulate. And I, I mm. mean manipulate in a loving and admiring way, but she manipulates the hell out of people, and it's so impressive. Like there's um yeah. the second half of chapter six is a masterclass in manipulation. It's when um it's when Miss Raxton is trying to interfere and sort of snitch on Cecilia to to Charles. Mm. And uh, let me just find a passage yeah. of that. So Charles says um to Sophie. 
I have no particular objection to a phaeton and pair, he said, still more coldly, though a perch model is quite unsuited to a lady. You will forgive me if I tell you that there is something more than a little fast in such a style of carriage. Now, who in the world can have been spiteful enough to have put that idea into your head? wondered Sophie. He flushed, but did not answer. And I think there's loads of examples of things like that where she doesn't say outright, Miss Raxton's been been snitching, yeah. hasn't she? Telling tales. But she so she always manages to keep her hands clean, or at least plausible yeah. deniability. Like Charles is onto her. Like he gives her some penetrating looks that kind of suggest, I know what you're doing here. But she can always kind of like distance herself. Yeah. There's the bit as well where she um so she thinks that so Cecilia is worried that Charles is gonna give her a skull because Miss Jackson's seen her in the park with walking with mm. Augustus in the park. Um mm. and Sophie goes back to Charles and um immediately says, You should um be careful with Cecilia because um Mrs. Raxton's brother, Alfred, is it? Alfred, yeah. Um, is is very handsy. He's got wet. He's described as having a wet mouth. <laughs> oh, I know. He's <laughs> awful. It's an awful description, isn't it? So he's a horrible character. Um, yeah. yeah, straight in there with, you know, you should be careful. And that completely puts him off his guard. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and puts it, him in a, in a difficult position. And then he sees Cecilia and he's very nice to her. And, yeah. um, and they get on a much better footing. And it, it's really nice as you go on, you kind of see their relationship get a lot better. Yeah. His relationship with Cecilia and his relationship with Hubert. Um, yes. Really improved because of um, Sophie's interventions. In fact, going on to Charles more, more fully, I absolutely love him as a character. I think he's fantastic because he's just the right level of cool, calm well okay not calm but he's i think he's pretty sexy he is well he's he's quite athletic isn't he yeah apparently he could have been a professional boxer if he wasn't if it wasn't for the fact that he was a gentleman um very good with the horses uh and he obviously really cares and he's good with animals so we know he's a good guy yeah he's he's very good with the younger members of his family and it's just it's just a difficult situation in that he's had to deal with all the stress of his father blowing their fortune and him having to kind of rescue the situation yeah and that's right and i think um that has led him to worry about that leads him to worry more about the path that hubert's going down because he's mm. really worried he's like his father and is going to yeah. be like that and you know mm. um be that kind of unsteady character and yeah and he's put had a lot to put up with i mean we don't know the amount that um obviously is in in was in debt but um you know it, we made to think it's it's a, it's a lot and it's a lot more than the mother yeah. thinks even yeah in fact that's a good scene i think where he has that conversation with hubert so mm. hubert on finding out that sophie has tackled mr goldhanger um confesses what's happened to charles because he just he feels that like that's the right thing to do uh, it seemed for a moment as though his brother would have returned a stinging answer, but he checked himself and walked over to the window instead, and stood frowning out. After a pause, he said abruptly, Do you know the sum of my father's gaming debts? Hubert was surprised, for the subject had never before been mentioned between them. He replied, No, that is, I do know that they must have been rather heavy, of course, but I never heard the exact sum. Mr. Rivenhall told him. There was a stunned silence. Hubert broke it at last, but... 
But my God, Charles, you're... You're not bamming me, are you? Mr. Rivenhall gave a short laugh. But, Charles, you did not pay all that. Hardly. I settled some part, but the estate is still grossly encumbered. I need not take you into all that. Now that my father has given the management into my hands, I have a reasonable hope of being able to tow the family out of the river tick. But compounding with creditors, spending my life contriving ways and means with our man of business is the very devil. Good God, I should rather think it would be. Listen, Charles, I'm damn sorry I should have added to it at all. Mr. Ribbonclaw came back to the desk. Yes, I know. Your debt is no great matter, but if gaming is in your blood as well... Well, it ain't. You needn't fear for that, for I don't care for it cards above half. And I can assure you I had no pleasure in going into those damned hells. He took a turn about the room, a frown slowly gathering on his brow. He stopped suddenly and exclaimed, Why didn't you tell me? Dash it, I'm not a child. You should have told me. Mr. Rivenhall looked at him half smiling. Yes, perhaps I should, he said mildly. But the fewer people to know the better. Even my mother does not know the whole. And then they talk a little bit more. So Charles says, You should have come to me, and that you did not must have been far more my fault than yours. Oh, well, I, I don't know that, Hubert said uncomfortably. I expect if I had been rather better acquainted with you, I should have done so. Sophie said I should do so from the start, and Lord, if I had had the least notion of what she meant to do, I would have run to you straight away. And so that that line that um, if I had been rather better acquainted with you. Yeah, for two brothers to talk like that. And it, I think Charles actually mentions that later on to Sophie. Yeah, he says, like, oh, imagine how I felt on hearing that. Mm. So he, he realises that he isn't on the best terms with his older siblings. And he, he does actually make a really good stab at improving those relations, I think. And, and it's after that, um, and Charles is talking to Mrs Raxton, when um, I think he really realises the difference between Mrs Raxton and Sophie... Um, and Mr. Raxton is quite still quite severe on Hubert and doesn't understand, you know, basically says, no, Charles, you weren't at fault at all. It's, his unste- it's Hubert's unsteadiness of character. Mm. And he, she's really trying to set the brothers against each other. And yep. I think it's at those points where you sort of lose any sort of feeling sorry for Mr. Raxton at all. And the, um, <laughs> <laughs> because, the, you know, she's, she's quite manipulative, but also it just shows that difference between um Mr. Axon and Sophie um and and Charles is slowly uh, seeing Sophie's um good points yeah he does he does and I think it helps that we do understand how he came to be with Miss Raxton because mm. it is kind of understandable he was at a really dark point in his life feeling very cynical and disillusioned and unhappy with the profligacy of his father and Miss Raxton sort of embodied this strict controlled ordered future that must have appealed at that point in time to him and you know she does sometimes come across as reasonably pleasant oh god no maybe not i'd I'd... she does an impression of being nice no yeah yeah she does and she yeah i mean she sort of i guess she does want to be helpful i guess it's just her version of helpful is making everybody very un, un uh, very unhappy <laughs> because they don't you know when she's she's like she, she keeps on saying to mrs uh, to um lady obviously oh you know I, I can't wait to come and live with you so i can shoulder mm. some of your um responsibility and she's like well no i don't really want that <laughs> yeah yeah and she's always you know offering well forcing her opinions and advice on so sophie and cecilia so you know sophie mm. drives her down to st james's because 
Miss Raxton has provoked her into it, really, by being just so desperately yeah. unpleasant. And then I, lo- I think she's a really good villain, maybe over-egging it, but I'm going to call her a villain. Um, she's just someone that's really fun to dislike. Because it's things like um, when she twitches the letter out of Cecilia's hand towards the end and reads what's happened with mm. Sophie you know, running for Charlbury. Um, it's it's moments like that when when she really oversteps the mark and you're like, oh, yeah, that, that tells us everything we need to know about you. You are yeah. unpleasant. I think it is important that we do dislike her because, um, so essentially, Sophie steals Charles from her. And so um, we need to feel, firstly, that she deserves it because... Um, you know, she's she's not a very nice person, but also that she gets um, she gets something, <laughs> um, she gets something out of it, and that she she will be better off without Charles because they are uh, mm. they fundamentally don't under, misunderstand each other. Um, yeah, and that it won't be a happy marriage if it if it I goes mean, ahead. I think she comes out of it quite well because. Lord Bromford is a much better match for her. Like she, yeah. she genuinely values him. God knows why, but um, but yeah, I think they're they're a good match. But I think my my favourite scene with Miss Raxton um, is right towards the end where she arrives at Lacey Manor. There are a bunch of ducklings running around the floor because it just adds <laughs> to the chaos and it's cute. I like it. So Sophie says, "Ceci, pray take care. This poor little duckling. Oh God, Miss Raxton." Yes, Miss Stanton Lacey. Aye, said Miss Raxton, joining the group in the porch. You did not, I fancy, expect to see me. No, and you'll be very much in the way, replied Sophie, frankly. Go in, Ceci. I love that. That's such a good entrance and a very depressing sort of, oh, God, yes, you, reply. And even better when she realises that Sancia is there. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, no, she was never compromised at all. Um, There was no (laughs) point in me being there. It absolutely completely takes the wind out of her sail. It's fantastic. Um, But yeah, Lord Bromford is a fantastic match for her. He's a good character as well. He's not, you know, particularly well fleshed out or anything. But I enjoy him. And I think one of of the laugh out loud moments for me in this is Sophie's exchange with Lord Bromford, where they're just swapping facts about the natural vegetation in Spain and Jamaica. Yeah, she's just making it up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is fantastic. Because later she says to one of her army friends, is there this tree? And does this tree do this? He's like, I don't know, Sophie. Yeah, (laughs) I love that bit. So I think there's a really clear point where we where Charles realizes mm. that he's in love with Sophie, but yeah. um, which we can talk about in a minute. But um, I don't I don't think we get that with Sophie. Like when she realizes no. when Charles when she when she's in love with Charles, and I think it's probably mm. quite early on where she thinks, yeah. right, <laughs> I'm gonna get him. Um, <laughs> you know, or she she starts to like him. I mean, she start we know she starts to like him when she realizes that he's very good with animals mm-hmm. <laughs> which is obviously the mark of a fantastic man and yep. you know likes dogs likes monkeys you know and, and also she talks to one of his friends doesn't she and he's very 
yes and she and he's very complimentary about charles and basically charles is a man who will help anybody out in a yeah in um, a fix in a fix and so we know he's a good one because of that yeah um and, and they have lovely moments together yeah yeah like um when she sort of talk, um when he shoots inside yeah, he has that's a, a good gun. scene isn't it that cuz you just see him sort of throw off the shackles of his you know conservative domestic tyrant persona and you mm. see a glimpse of what he can be this this fun spontaneous person who <laughs> fires guns inside which is not a good idea but i love it it was a great scene and then mr axton comes in and sees them you know laughing and bonding and you know yeah. she's on to them she knows what's going on she's not happy about it no exactly um so shall we go to the bit where I think Charles first realized. I love this bit uh, where Charles mm. first realizes how he feels about Sophie. Do it, do it, do it. Okay, so this is where um, so Amabel had been sick. Oh yeah. Um, and she. So this is one of the one of the daughters, or one of the sisters rather. Um, um had been had been ill, and Sophie had basically taken over the sick room and was nursing her. Um, oh, she was an angel. Yeah. Um, and and Miss Raxton wouldn't go near yeah. the sick room. Yeah, which is another important mm. thing in the story about which separate, you know, shows the difference between yeah. Sophie and Miss Raxton. Um, and the, and Charles comes home and obviously goes into the sick room and Amabel loves Charles, which is another reason why we know he's a good one, because children mm. love him as well. So they're in the sick room together. But nothing would do that, that both Charles and Sophie would stay beside her. Yes, but no more talking, Sophie said. I'm going to tell you um, about another of my adventures. And if you interrupt me, I shall lose my thread. Oh, yes. Tell me about the time you were lost in the Pyrenees, begged Amabel drowsily. Sophie did so, her voice sinking as the little girl's eyelids began to droop. Mr. Rivenhall sat still and silent on the other side of the bed, watching his sister. Presently, Amabel's deeper breathing betrayed that she slept. Sophie's voice ceased. She looked up and met Mr. Rivenhall's eyes. He was staring at her, as though a thought blindingly, blinding in its novelty had occurred to him. Her gaze remained steady, a little questioning. He rose abruptly, half stretched out his hand, let it fall, fall again, and turning, went quickly out of the room. So I think we know at that point that yeah. he, um, he suddenly realizes that she is um, she is wonderful and um, and that he's in love with her. It's such a lovely domestic scene as well, like both of them over mm. this child's bed and you just have this image of that being their future, hopefully not with an ill child, but you see that kind of future for them and it's really nice. And there was a line in it, just a couple of pages I think after that that made me think, oh, Sophie, Sophie knows he's in love with her now as well. And, and yeah, so after that scene, um, Charles decides he's going to keep his distance from Sophie because he's engaged to Miss Raxton. He can't call that off and keep his honour, so he just needs to stay away from Sophie. And he's, he's probably going borderline rude to Sophie at this point. Um, so Cecilia, knowing how very much obliged to Sophie he thought himself, was astonished, and more than once pressed her cousin to tell her whether they had quarrelled. But Sophie would only shake her head and look mischievous. Yeah. So Sophie knows. Sophie, Sophie knows, knows why he's getting all cold. She knows everything that's going on. Um, 
and, and I think what? other people had guessed as well because there are some uh, mm. yeah there are some references to oh I expect yeah anyway there, there are some references that obviously other people and his friends and um like Charlbury and um his yeah. friends knows how he feels I, I think as well what I like about this pairing or this storyline is that it's Charles that seems to be in emotional turmoil not not the female character which yeah. seems to be more often the case so he's really wrestling grappling with his emotions and Sophie's I don't know that she's just really confident that she you know her machinations will result in their relationship in the end or you know I don't know I guess, I guess that that's it um so yeah I think at one point they they have a conversation um and Charles says Sophie he took a hasty step towards her, his hand going out, but almost immediately dropping to his side again. I wish you had never come amongst us, he said, and turned away to lean his arm upon the mantelpiece and stare down at the empty grate. That is not kind, Charles. He was silent. Well, you'll be rid of me soon, I dare say. I depend upon seeing Sir Horace at any time now. You'll be glad. I must be glad. The words were uttered almost inaudibly, and he did not raise his head or make any movement to prevent her leaving the room he's like having this proper full-on yeah. moment staring into the fireplace moodily i think that like for her so she she goes into this house they're all tang- they're all in a bit of a tangle um and then she sees the end so clearly like who should be with who who should yeah. be sorted out like that and she just sees that in her head and that's what she's going to do because everything that she you know everything she puts her mind to she manages to succeed to succeed. Mm. and so she's like well this is all going to work out okay people just have to move along with me um this is, it's yeah. like she sees the world as a chessboard isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. She, she will move those pawns as needed yeah. yeah that is that is lovely I, I really enjoy that and then i think their um their engagement scene is one of my favorites as well actually mm-hmm. so let's go to that i think oh also by the way um <laughs> So Charles walks in on Miss Raxton and uh, Lord Bromford in a bedchamber at, at um, Lacey Manor because he's caught a chill or something or thinks he has anyway. And uh, Miss Raxton is so angry she calls off the the engagement to Charles and she says, Thank you. If I cannot felicitate you upon the contract you are no doubt about to enter into, at least I can pray that you may not be too sadly disappointed in the character of the lady you mean to marry, said Miss Raxton, a spot of colour burning in either cheek. No, I don't think I should be disappointed, said Mr. Ivanhoe, with a sudden, rueful grin. Shocked, maddened, and stunned, perhaps, but not disappointed. Come, Tina. So, in the in the final few pages, um, Sophie and Charles are finally alone. She allowed him to pull her to her feet, but said, Charles, are you freed from your engagement? I am, he replied. Miss Raxton has terminated our engagement. And Cecy has terminated hers to Augustus, so now I can... Sophie, I don't pretend to know why she should have done so, any more than I understand why you keep a brood of ducklings in the house. But neither of these problems interest me very particularly at this present. I have something more important to say to you. Of course, said Sophie, your horse. Well, indeed, Charles, I am very sorry to have displeased you so much. No, said Mr. Rivenhall, grasping her shoulders and giving her a shake. You know... Sophie, you know I could not mean. You did not run away from London because of that. But Charles, naturally I did. I had to have some excuse. You must perceive that I had to. Devil, said Mr. Rivenhall, and caught her in so crushing an embrace that she protested, and Tina danced round them, barking excitedly. Quiet, commanded Mr. Rivenhall. 
He took Sophie's throat between his hands, pushing up her chin. Will you marry me, vile and abominable girl that you are? Yes, but mind, it is only to save my neck from being wrung, Sophie replied. The opening of the library door made him release her, and look quickly over his shoulder. Mr Fornhope, wearing an expression of almost complete abstraction, came into the hall with a paper in his hand. There is no ink in there, he complained, and I have broken the point of my pencil. I've, I've abandoned the notion of hailing you as Vestal Virgin. There's something awkward in those syllables. My opening nine now reads, Goddess, whose steady hands upheld. But I must have ink. With these words, and without paying the least heed to Mr Rivenhall, he walked across to the door leading to the back premises and disappeared through it. Mr Rivenhall turned a face of undisguised horror upon Sophie. Good God, he said. You might have warned me that he was here. What the deuce did he mean by that stuff? Well, I think, said Sophie confidentially, that he now means to be in love with me, Charles. He likes the way I hold a lamp, and he says he would like to see me with an urn. Well, he's not going to see you with an urn, said Mr Rivenhall, revolted. He cast a glance round the hall, saw a police lying on one chair, and snatched it up. Put this on. Where's your hat? But, Charles, we cannot leave poor Sancho with all these dreadful people in the house. It is too base. Yes, we can. You don't imagine I'm going to sit down to dinner with Eugenia and that damn poet, do you? Is this your muff? Must we take these ducklings? No, it is Cecilia's, and now they will be all over the floor again. Charles, how provoking of you. Sir Vincent, who had come into the hall with a couple of bottles, set them down in the hearth, saying, How do you do, Rivenhall? Sophie, is there any ink in the house? The poet is searching for some in the larder and driving my poor Sancho distracted. Talgarth, said Mr Rivenhall, firmly grasping Sophie by one wrist. I beg you will take care of these infernal ducklings, and I wish you a very pleasant evening. Sir Horace has arrived in town, and I must instantly restore his daughter to him. Rivenhall, said Sir Vincent gravely, I perfectly understand you, and I applaud your presence of mind. Allow me to offer you my felicitations. I will convey your apologies to my wife. Let me advise you to lose no time in taking your departure. The poet will all too shortly return. Sir Vincent, cried Sophie, dragged irresistibly to the door, give my portmanteau to Miss Raxton and beg her to make what use she pleases of the contents. Charles, this is crazy. Did you come in your curricle? What if it should begin to rain again? I shall be drenched. Then you'll be well served, retorted her insurous cousin. Charles, uttered Sophie, shocked. You cannot love me. Mr Rivenhall pulled the door to behind them, and in a very rough fashion, jerked her into his arms and kissed her. I don't. I dislike you excessively, he said savagely. Entranced by these lover-like words, Miss Stanton Lacey returned his embrace with fervour and meekly allowed herself to be led off to the stables, where they made passionate love in the hay. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I might have added a few words at the end there, but I, I feel like they're quite passionate, those two. It could, could, could happen. Yeah. But I love that. I love him calling her vile and abominable. Yeah. It, it, the, the whole final scene at Lacey Manor, is it? Yeah. yeah. Is is so good, isn't it? With the ducklings mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, I must have eggs and yeah, all of that is um is, is a re- is a really great final scene. Yeah. Everything gets tied up with a bow. Oh yeah, yeah, all the couples neatly arranged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um Augustus Fornhope, in lesser hands, he would just be an annoying throwaway character, but I really love him. Yeah. This beautiful boy poet who just lives exists on a different plane to other people yes <laughs> i like that i like the bit as well where cecilia breaks off the engagement with him and and he takes it so well that when he leaves cecilia's like does does he understand <laughs> what just happened yeah yeah <laughs> but I she's do. with charlbury and we love charlbury right oh, should we talk about charlbury's Char- a great character 
I really enjoy the bit where he really gets blamed for contracting mumps. <laughs> it's yes. so unfair. <laughs> oh, just... please, please read that yeah. bit for me. I love it. So it's not the first bit where we get introduced to the the mumps, but um, well, I think when when Lady Ombersley talks to Sophie about him, she's blaming him at that point for contracting mumps yeah. at the worst possible then, moment. So this is after the party, after the Sophie's ball, mm. and so they've met in the park. So Sophie has asked Charbury to oh, yeah. meet in the park afterwards. Mm. And um, basically, he's asking her for advice. So she now sees that he is a great fellow and mm-hmm. perfect for Cecilia. I love the fact, I feel like when she talks to him at the party, they speak for all of about two minutes. And she gets his measure, yeah. And she decides, oh yeah, him. Yeah, he's a good one. Okay. So this is, um, this is Sophie. Should you object very much to telling me whether you still desire to marry my cousin, you may stab me if you choose. He replied rather ruefully, Will you think me contemptible if I tell you yes? Not at all. You'd be foolish to refine too much upon what happened last night. Only consider, instead of first fixing, fixing your interest with Cecilia, you apply to my uncle for leave to address her. It is usual to do so, he pointed out. It may be punctilious, but it is the greatest folly imaginable, particularly if you mean to contract mumps before you have even had the time to offer for her. It would, I collect, be useless to assure you that I did not mean to contract months. <laughs> I, I had reason to believe that my suit would not be distasteful to her. Um, yeah, so I feel so bad for him. I, yeah, <laughs> like I get his. Blamed. Yeah, I get the sense, like left, right, and centre. People are saying, like, why did you get mumps then? He's like, I, I didn't choose to. Yeah. I didn't choose to. And um, the other thing I like about Lord Charbury is a. Uh, um, Sophie describes him as the sort of man who'd be able to get a taxi in the rain. Yeah. Which always reminds me of my husband, Al. I don't know if you remember this, Rach. 3am, Camden High Street. We're all piling out of a club. It's kicking out time, so everyone is on this high street trying to find a cab and it's chucking it down. And I remember Al just turning to us and going, I'll be back. And he disappears down this rainy, dark high street. And I think we're just standing around like trying to decide where we can get chips and ineffectually looking for a cab. And Al comes back two minutes later. In in my mind's eye, he's he's running back in slow-mo. But I, I don't think he was probably in slow-mo. But he says, I've got a taxi, follow me. And we're just like running past all these people that are waiting for taxis. I'm like, yeah, that guy's got one for us. I do remember this. Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> I loved him so much in that moment. It's a good skill to have. Yeah. So, um, what do we think the future relationship of Sophie and Charles will look like? I think they're going to have a a very happy marriage. She's going to carry on being exactly the way she is now and sorting out everybody's problems and, um, yeah, making sure... So basically taking charge of his entire his entire family yeah and i think also his estates are in an appalling condition so she can turn that around that'll be great yeah i hope they have a nice honeymoon first because she likes to travel so they should do that yeah. and there yeah i think there's still going to be plenty of arguments i'm get yeah because charles isn't going to like her interfering with everything but i'm kind of hoping that he's going to end up like her father and just kind of take the approach of like look she's gonna do it she always lands yeah. on her feet. It'll be fine. I'm just going to leave her to it. Yeah. 
give her a head she'll she'll come round yeah exactly yeah, in the end no and and obviously they'll like they have their own family hopefully and i think that would be rather lovely because they, they're both fantastic with children yeah um one thing i was thinking with this book as we were reading it so there are like three references to previous adventures that sophie has had so talgarth mentions a belgian family that she's set to write yeah. um she mentions um like a gorilla el moro who broke into her home at one point and then there's a story that she told amabel a bit about being lost in the pyrenees, the pyrenees. like put that in a book someone i want to read that <laughs> yeah sophie's adventures yeah they could also be like i think sophie and charles together could be a fantastic crime fighting duo you know she makes things happen he just shows up and punches people if necessary she shoots them it's quite a violent crime series in my head actually <laughs> but a good one <laughs> so yeah i you know what i absolutely loved reading that book i i've had a really busy week so it's a bit of a struggle to fit it in but because it was so good, I was just like, yeah, I'll read this until one or two in the morning. That's fine. It's worth it. Yeah. It's really easy to read, isn't it? And there's just so many little funny gems in there. Yeah. Um, it really is like the like Heyer's wit at its best, this book. Yes. This one was meant to be the one that's most likely to get made into a film. Oh, is, was there some kind of vote? Uh, no, um, this someone's got the, someone um, oh, has the rights to it. So, but I, I'm not sure we'll ever get it done. Mm. And also, I think part of me really, really wants an adaptation mm -hmm. um, of this, but then it's never going to be right, yeah. is it? It's, it's never going to be what we picture in our heads. No. So I was thinking about this the other day, and I realised I don't actually want a TV series. I want a really good radio play, unabridged. That's what I want. Yeah. I mean, I guess you've got the audio book, but I want a full cast of actors. Well, there are BBC. It's, it's not. It's abridged. Mm, um there, there are there is a bbc one of this but mm. it's not it's mm. not good it's not right I, I think we've just got it too much in our heads about what people yeah even, i find i i struggle with or i do listen to audio books because i have got i'll get because it's the only way i can actually <laughs> get it done <laughs> um but it 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 really is a struggle sometimes if you've read the book and then you mm. hear an audio book because it just doesn't match up with what you've got in your head i mean you know um, what, you know what i got upset about in the in the book um they describe the monkeys wearing a red waistcoat on the front of the pan edition of the book he's not wearing a red waistcoat he's wearing a red fez i mean how am oh, i yeah. gonna keep a fez on i've got no idea um but that annoyed me so i, I yeah. think any tv um, or film is, is is doomed to disappoint me most of the book covers maybe the more recent ones are better but a lot of the old book covers you think no <sighs> no no this is wrong you're not even <laughs> in the right period of dress <laughs> let alone look anything like any of the characters yeah um, yeah exactly so if we get that annoyed about a book cover can mm. you imagine if it's you know actual real people on screen yeah. messing it up i mean don't get me wrong if they made it i'd watch it i would watch it yeah yeah um so now we've wrapped up the grand sophie i think it's your turn to pick the next book okay so what about um one with a bit of adventure like have we done talisman's ring no should we do the talisman ring no absolutely not Yes, no, we shall. my choice. <laughs> Let's do it. That's a good one. Great. There's some great characters in that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, looking forward to it. That'll be good. 
Um, so, all that is left to say is thank you for listening. Um, if you'd be so kind as to rate and review us, that would be marvellous. Um, rate and review. Rate and review. I'm sorry, was that a spontaneous jingle? <laughs> jingle. No, don't. I don't think it's going to catch on. <laughs> um, thank you, though. <laughs> right, so that's <laughs> that's all from me. Um, bye-bye for now. Bye. Bye.